Well, does anybody in here beside me hate to wait? It can drive me crazy having to wait for something when I feel like I don't know how long this is going to take. See, uh, we long for now, but we live in a world of not yet. You get stuck in a traffic jam. You feel like it's never going to untangle on 281. Or you call a company about a bill. Or you want to order food to go. Have you ever heard this happen? Somebody picks up on the other end and they said, do you mind if I put you on hold? Well, they, they're not looking for an answer. You're going on hold whether you like it or not. That's a rhetorical question, right? And you may be on hold for 15 or 20 minutes. Drives me crazy when that happens. And I can't do anything about it. And one of the reasons we don't like waiting is that it reminds me, I'm not in control. When I'm waiting, I can't do any of the important things that make me feel like I'm accomplishing something because I'm just sitting around. Nobody likes to do that. Go to a doctor's office. We have lots of them in here. I'll get plenty of talk after this service. They have a whole room devoted to waiting. It's called the waiting room. Nobody volunteers to go to the waiting room. And the one you never see in the waiting room is the doctor. You never hear the receptionist say, oh, please, go to his office, get your work done, whatever you want to do. When you're ready, we'll send the doctor in. He'll be waiting for you in the waiting room. No. One of the rules about waiting is the less important person always has to wait on the more important person. And waiting makes all of us feel less important. And we don't know how long we're going to have to wait. If you ever go to Disneyland, God bless you till we meet again. <laughs> you have to wait so long. Your wife will go through menopause before you get to one ride. <laughs> they, they actually put up signs in the line that say, from this point on, there'll be another three days before you get to go on the Jungle Cruise. Wouldn't it be great if we had that in life like from this point on, six months till you find the spouse. Or, amen, from this point, four years till your kids grow up. Or from this point, ten years till your spouse grows up. The, the problem with waiting is it's not that we just don't know when now is going to come. The problem is now might never come. We may live in not yet for the rest of our lives, and it drives us crazy. You may have seen, there's actually a video online, over a million views now, and there's a guy who's at a fine dining restaurant, and it takes so long for the order to come, he actually calls a pizza place and has pizza delivered to the whole restaurant. Everybody in the restaurant's applauding this guy who refused to wait so long for his food to come. And then there are more serious and difficult kinds of waiting. There's the waiting of a single person to see if God might have a marriage in store for him or her. Not yet. Oh. Then there's the waiting of a childless couple. God, will you let us start a family? It'd be such a great thing. We want it badly. Not yet. The waiting of somebody who longs to have a great job so they can pay the bills and make a meaningful contribution. But not yet. The waiting of a deeply depressed person for, you know, a morning to come when they actually feel like they want to live another day. 
the waiting of a spouse who's trapped in a lousy, painful marriage, and they feel like it's never going to change. Or the waiting of an elderly person in a nursing home whose health is failing, and they seem to be just waiting to die. You know, when you have to wait like that, and everybody here has or you will, you always ask God a question. It's all over the Bible. Here's one place in the book of Psalms, David talking, Psalms 13. How long, Lord? Anybody but me ever say that? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long, God, before your light turns green? How long before my not yet turns into a now? How long? It's quite obvious, those of you that know me, know that patience is not one of my virtues. I know it's a fruit of the Spirit, but I don't have a whole lot of fruit uh, on that one. I mean, every time I get out here now, it seems like every road is torn up, and every road is a delay, and Darth Vader, the dark side, comes out in me. And I, I know there's nothing I can do about it, which makes it even worse, because I want to fix it, you know? Over and over again in the Bible, people ask that question, and God hardly ever answers it. God hardly ever says, another three days, Gloria, or a week from Wednesday. What God generally says is, just wait. That drives us crazy, right? The psalmist said, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Wait for the Lord. Keep His way. He will exalt you, and you will inherit the land. Just wait. Wait on God. Wait for the Lord. And you know, there's a lot of mystery to waiting. There's a lot I don't understand about it, but there is in the Bible a perspective about waiting that when you catch it, kind of changes how you approach waiting. It is kind of working for me too. So I thought this weekend we could look at a story in the Bible about people who have been waiting for a long time, and it might help all of us who are waiting. This is the Gospel of Luke, and the writer says that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple, and then we're told in Luke, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. Luke is going to tell us what Simeon was waiting for, but let me pause here just to think about that statement and ask you, what are you waiting for? See, we're going to talk about this quite a bit next weekend, and it's really an important weekend. But I mention it here because a lot of times people think waiting on the Lord means if I wait for God to give me what I want, God has to do it. If I don't get the circumstances I want now, but I keep waiting on God, God has to give me even better circumstances in the future. I just want to say waiting on the Lord is not a technique to manipulate God to get what you want from God. Sometimes when I'm waiting for something, I want it so bad that I feel like if I don't get it or that or him or her, life is hardly worth living. Let me tell you right now, that's a dangerous place to live. Don't go there. That's a really dangerous place because if you feel like there's some particular circumstance you have to have, like if I don't get it, life is not worth living you're going to have one of two problems. One is you might never get it, 
That's a problem because you have to keep living. And the other problem is you might get it and then discover the thing you've always been waiting for and find out, uh, I'm still waiting for something, but I don't know what it is. So in other words, you don't, you don't want to let what you're waiting for become what you're counting on. That's a dangerous place to be. So back, back to Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He's a righteous, devout guy. He's a really good guy. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Then Luke tells us about a woman, another character there. She's hanging out at the temple. And she's Anna. Anna's sort of a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. That's a long time to be alone. It says she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to Joseph and Mary at that very moment. She gave thanks to God, and she spoke about the child that Mary was carrying to all who were waiting, all the people of the temple who were waiting, all of the waiters waiting for what is called the redemption of Jerusalem. Two characters, a man and a woman. And one of the things Luke does a lot in his gospel is he tells stories that always pair up a woman and a man. Apparently, part of what Luke wants for his people to know is that the gospel is good news for everybody, women and men, Gentiles as well as Jewish people. 27 times he has stories that pair up a man and a woman, and this is one of them. Two characters, a very old man and a very old woman, and they've been waiting a long time. And they're not just waiting around. And the real important word about waiting on the Lord is it has nothing to do with being passive or apathetic or slow to act when action is needed. That's not waiting on the Lord. You know, if somebody waits on a table, and I know we have a couple of folks in here who run restaurants, if you wait on a table, you're not sitting in the kitchen. Although occasionally we've had waiters we thought had left the building. You know, you could find Osama bin Laden before you could find her. But, but waiting on the Lord is not passive, see? If your boss comes to you and says, why don't you show more initiative? Why don't you take more risk? And you say, I'm just waiting on the Lord. That's not going to end real good. That, that, that's not a reflection of somebody really following Jesus. You know, in fact, we're told Anna was a prophetess, and a prophet's job was to confront injustice, to teach the Bible, to man obedience, to get in people's faces, and she's well known for this. And she shows up at the temple for her work every day. So it says, Anna and Simeon, you're an old man. You're an old woman. You've seen everything. What in the world are you waiting for? For something really big for way more than just my own circumstances, my own fulfillment, my relationship, my job, my money, something way bigger than that for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's kind of a prophet talk, and it actually comes from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament where the prophet is told by God, comfort, comfort my people. And the idea is God is going to come at some point and set everything right in this world. No more deceit, no more sin, no more broken families, no more violence. And what would it be like in our nation today for the division and hostility and violence and injustice and the ache to be healed? Wow. I mean, we could all pray for that this Christmas season. That'd be a good thing. See, waiting for what they would call the kingdom of God for up there to come down here. 
Now, you get around churches a whole lot, and they're all about, I'll fly away. They're all about leaving. And, you know, Jesus and his people have a problem. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done now in the earth as it is in heaven. So you got all these Christians at the rapture bus stop, and they have a suitcase, and they don't know whether to fight or, fl- or fly. And it's really done a lot of damage to the church. One day the Lord will come. Okay. But if you've got rapture fever, then you abandon the earth. You give up, you know, you give up school, education. You give up the arts, the media. You give up being an salt and light, and you just let the world get bad and then blame all the demons. When in fact, we ought to slap a few Christians around for making us become passive and apathetic. And we just said to the devil, here, here's the world. Here's my family. Take them. Take them. That's what we've done. We've just surrendered it. Now, it wasn't intentional. Please, I'm not being mean. It's not intentional. But the point is, you need to focus and think about it. We're supposed to occupy till he comes. All the military people in here know what occupational trips do. They take over. Now, you're not supposed to take over your favorite denomination or your little prejudice, but it's supposed to be righteous. It's supposed to be just. It's supposed to be peaceable. The kingdom of God is righteousness, you know, peace and joy. There ought to be a whole lot of that going on in our families, homes, business, marriage, and our nation and world. So we want up there to come down here. He's talking about the kingdom of God, starting with my own heart, and then set everything right in this sorry, dark world. That's what Simeon's waiting for. Every day, day after day after day, he goes to the temple. God is today the day. Not yet. And those days turn into months. Months turn into years. Has the time come now? Not yet. Everything is still a mess till one day this man, Simeon, goes to the temple. And then we're told by the, by, uh, that when the parents, Mary and Joseph, bring the child in, it says in Scripture in Luke, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. That meant I can die now. I've, I've seen what's been promised for so many years is finally coming to pass. The first words out of Simeon's mouth, in other words, after a lifetime of waiting is now. Why? Nothing overtly has changed. Rome is still in charge. Injustice is still rampant. Violence is everywhere. The poor are still suffering. Israel is still a victim. The widow and forgotten orphans, they're all marginalized. What's different? Well, at the moment, just this baby. Just Jesus is here, and Jesus turns not yet into now, but not because Israel's circumstances are going to get a lot better, but because Jesus is present in their painful circumstances. That's the difference. Simeon, this old man, day after day, year after year, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet, now. And Luke is telling us something, and this is just true. When Jesus comes into your life, into your circumstances, your pain, your suffering, your aloneness, your failure, your loss, your divorce, your bankruptcy, your cancer, somehow not yet becomes now. Now everything's okay. Why? Because God's here. Now I'm not alone. Now I have hope. Now I can go on. So how glad Simeon is that he kept waiting, that he didn't give up. And the danger for waiting people is, I'm going to get tired, and when I get tired of waiting, I'm going to stop being faithful and believing God. I'm going I'm to stop trusting God. I, I'm going to decide, 
I'm going to take things into my own hands, and no matter what God says to do, I'm going to do it. Okay, now we do true confessions. One time I'm driving home about midnight. It's dark, and I came to a red light that wouldn't turn green. Anybody but me ever, ever done that? Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right. You look at me like, oh, my, he's going to say something that's illegal or whatever. Like, you haven't done this. So I'm waiting for this light, and clearly the light, I, I'm a pretty good indicator of how long it takes a light to change. It's malfunctioning. It's not working right. So eventually I went through the red light. It's midnight. Nobody's around. But it turned out there was one car present I hadn't seen. And it had red lights and a few blue ones. And the driver of that car asked me why I didn't want to wait for that light to turn green. Well, I explained I, I had applied the reasonable man uh, standard to it, you know. Sounded legal to me. I waited as long as any reasonable man would wait. Clearly, the light was not working, so any reasonable person would go through it. The problem was, while I explained it, the light turned green, which kind of undermined my argument. Now, a classic case of somebody who got tired of waiting on the Lord in the Bible is another couple, old Abraham and Sarah. Now, originally, they were named Abram and Sarai, but God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. So God comes to Abraham one day, and he says, I'm going to be with you, old boy, and I'm going to start a, a, a new group of people, and I'm going to do it through you, and you're going to have a son with your wife, Sarah, and it's going to be the beginning of a new community and ultimately redemption for the whole world, not just Israel. Now, Abraham is 75 years old when this happens, and his wife would, would have been a little bit younger. So naturally, he wants to know, uh, like, when is this going to happen? I'm on Medicare, <laughs> AARP. I'm 75. Uh, God, I, I've been waiting for a child my whole life. But God says, well, not yet. Not yet. It's 75. So the days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And eventually, more than a decade has gone by. Abraham is now near 100. His wife Sarah is in her 90s, still no kid. Now you think about waiting here. You know, if I can't wait for a stoplight, you're going to wait until you're 100 when God said you're going to have a baby, buy some, buy some clothes, paint the bedroom, get you some mobiles, get this thing ready. Now, now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, Scripture says, but she had an Egyptian slave, hottie, named Hagar. So, so she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. What is she saying? Now, think about it. In other words, this red light, Abe, is never going to turn green. God's promise is broken. God's forgotten. No reasonable person would wait any longer. Look at your old run-down, run-over, tired body. I'm tired of waiting. Well, she's 90. I don't think she's looking that good either. Right. Then the next verse says, Genesis 16, verse 2, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Well, baby, if that's what you want... Hagar, well, honey, only for you, only for you. <laughs> I mean, this is in the Bible, okay? 
Some of you, I don't know where you got your little G-rated Bible, but this is, this is pretty graphic stuff. Well, he does what he was told to do by his wife. She gets pregnant, and then look what happens next. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she started to despise her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Here's the blame game, right? I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant, and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham says, your slave is in your hands. Abraham said, do to her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, people who haven't read the Bible are amazed this kind of stuff's in here. This is really reality show material, the real housewives of Abraham. And Sarah is just saying, I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm going to run a red light. And this is what people do. I'm going to sleep with this person even though we're not married because I'm tired of waiting for intimacy. I'm tired of waiting to feel close to somebody. I'm tired of waiting. I'm waiting for something and it may never come. I'm going to run a red light. I'm going to quit praying for this kid I got. It looks hopeless. I'm going to renege on this commitment I've made. I'm going to bail on bringing my best self to work every day because it's just too hard. This job is too difficult. Nobody's ever going to notice anyway. I'm going to reduce my faithfulness quotient in this difficult marriage because it's just getting too painful. Oh, I know I've made this commitment about my generosity, but I'm tired of waiting for the circumstances I want. I'm going to run the red light. I think God has forgotten me. Those thoughts pass through everybody's mind. And I want to tell you, God has not forgotten you. Isaiah said this a long time ago. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And and a lot about waiting, I don't understand. But one thing I do is that God kind of uses waiting to shape people's lives. He does this over and over and over in the Bible. He comes to Moses. You're going to have to wait. I mean, the dude doesn't get commissioned until he's 80 He comes to Abraham, and he's going to use waiting to teach Abraham patience and to teach Abraham how do you become obedient when it's difficult? How do you develop hope? See, waiting turns out to be one of God's most important tools in shaping our character. Ben Patterson wrote a great book on waiting. And in it, he said, very often what happens to me while I'm waiting is more important than what I'm waiting for. It really, it'll bring out the worst or the best, that's for sure. I want to raise a really practical question because very often people will wonder, Rick, in any given situation, how do I know? Am I supposed to just wait patiently or take action? Like, I really want my old girlfriend or my old boyfriend back. My question is, why? (laughs) Do I wait on them or do I write that relationship off and start looking elsewhere? Or, I don't like my job I'm in right now. Should I initiate looking for another job? Is it more spiritual to wait on the Lord? Okay. In situations in life where it is not clear scripturally what the right thing to do is, and there's a ton of them, What would a person of good character, deep faith, and great wisdom do? Then take your best shot. In Abraham's case, would a person of good character, deep faith, and great wisdom have sex with their wife's personal assistant, even though the wife suggested it? I didn't mean for this to be a tricky question. (laughs) The correct answer would be no. You guys scare me sometimes. 
A person of good character, deep faith, and great wisdom would not have sex with their wife's personal assistant, even if the wife said, this is a good idea. You might want to tolerate the thought for a moment, but he wouldn't be smart to do it. Now, that's very important. Waiting on the Lord is not about automatically assuming that passive inaction is the spiritual road to go down. Waiting on the Lord for better or worse does not remove my need for wisdom and decision-making. And sometimes, Scripture doesn't tell you what to do. I have people ask me all the time some weird question about what, and I thought, I haven't got a clue. So you're going to have to use wisdom, deep faith, and good character. That's about the only boundary you've got there. Take a shot. I mean, God's a gracious God. What if you miss it? But you, you, did, you, you took the best action, the best road of wisdom you could. He's not going to abandon you. He's merciful. He's gracious. At least you learn maybe what not to do. You can help somebody else later. Don't get this too complicated. God doesn't have an answer for everything. Christians want an answer for everything. You know, my toenails infected. Should I go to the doctor? Should I? Are you nuts? What, what should I wear today? Well, whatever looks good on you, twit. What have you got clean? <laughs> Stupid stuff. Like, where should we eat today? Where they serve good food. Go to Aldino's for lunch. <laughs> okay. It just, it puts you in the context of 100% commitment to obeying God. God, I will obey you. I'll exercise judgment to do what wisdom and good character would do the best I can. But I'm not going to run a red light. I'm not going to violate your word. So waiting on the Lord is not just that. Waiting is not mostly about our effort and our commitment. It's not mostly about us at all. How you feel about waiting depends mostly on what you're waiting for. Did you know people who study waiting because it's such an important part of the human uh, need say there are actually times when we like to wait, when we prefer waiting? There's a very famous article by an economist, oh, about 27 years ago, who found people have a high want, listen to this, to be kissed by their favorite movie star. And it turns out people will actually pay more money to receive that kiss three days in the future than they would to get it right now. Because it turns out, people figure, if I get it right now, I'll miss the joy of anticipation, of imagining and savoring and picturing getting to look forward to it. So people don't just want the joy of that moment. They want all the joy of the moments that lead up to that moment when it comes true. Now, they're thinking, oh my goodness, what's that going to be like? Oh, it's exciting. Now, now people don't want to wait too long. If you wait too long, your movie star is going to get wrinkled and aged and saggy and flabby, and then there goes the joy. Just kiss that goodbye, right? Three days turns out to be just the right amount of time to wait. It turns out how you feel about waiting depends on what you're waiting for. And waiting becomes a spiritual discipline. It's one of the ways God shapes all of us. Anytime you have to wait this Christmas season, instead of fighting it, instead of being all hurried and focused on yourself and all the important things you have to do, take it as an invitation from God for a little spiritual discipline and be reminded, just for the season, I'm not in control of the world, and that's a really good thing. I'm going to wait with Jesus, and I'm going to wait in hope. I'm going to wait in peace. I'm going to remember the world is not on my shoulders. 
Many years ago, I was with my family on a vacation, I think, to Disneyland. We're in the airport. We had landed. We're at the baggage claim. I was impatient. I know you wouldn't think so, and I was in a hurry, and I was kind of grumpy, and I was staring at the conveyor belt number three as if I could will the luggage to come faster by mental effort. Have you ever done that? I was sending real clear signals to my family, don't approach me right now, don't talk to me right now. These are just moments when I'm not in control and I'm not happy about it. I just want the bags to come. And I've done that all over the world and they never come. I don't have mental powers to make it happen. See, waiting in this world is inevitable. We live in a not yet world. Waiting on the Lord, however, is optional. You can run the red light if you want to. So this Christmas season, just as a discipline, wait on purpose as a kind of a discipline. Take the world off your shoulders just for fun. Just wait. When you're shopping this season, there'll be a long, long line in the store. Rejoice in it. Deliberately get in the longest line. Don't try to will the line to go faster. Let somebody else in front of you. Tell them, I'm waiting on the Lord. You go ahead. Go ahead. Just make yourself do it. In your car, just this season only, when the traffic thickens, deliberately get in the slow lane. Yeah, actually let somebody cut in front of you. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm driving with Jesus. Go ahead. Go ahead. When you come to a stoplight, even the colors of the stoplight remind us of Christmas for crying out loud. See, what does the color red mean at a stoplight? Stop. So just stop and remember, as long as you're there, God, I don't have to wait for this light to change. I don't have to will this light to change. It's actually going to change, and I can just stop. You keep on running the world, Jesus. I'll just sit here and be at peace. Then it gets green. What does green mean? Go. Sometimes God says go, and that's a good thing, right? Just be thankful. God, thanks for all the times in my life when you told me to go. I'm so glad I get to move with you. And then sometimes the light turns yellow. What does yellow mean? No, it does not mean speed up. Thank you very much. It's just a little warning to you. God, thanks that sometimes you warn me. God, I'll trust you that you'll get me where I need to go without putting other people in danger. I don't have to be frantic. I don't have to be an I always have to speed up kind of a person. Just wait when you get up in the morning. I was reading about this over the weekend. Over 85% of people in America go to sleep with their cell phone by their bed so the first thing they can do is look at all the texts and emails that have come in overnight and then get overwhelmed by all the things you have to do and all the problems you have to solve and all the questions you have to answer. So just for this season, put the phone somewhere else. Cut it off. And just wake up and invite Jesus to be part of your day and that you want to do the day with him and wait on him through the day. Just as a discipline, you know, this season, if you've got a problem, if you have a pain, if you have a heartache, if you have a challenge at work, you're carrying a burden, you're not in control, you can't fix it, then hope. Just hope in faith. I love these words from author Lewis Smeads. Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy outcome we cannot write. 
We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. So we wait. If it gets hard, talk to God about it because Christmas means God knows all about waiting. God waited thousands of years after the fall of Adam in sin before he sent his son Jesus. Then Jesus had to wait, just like we all do, 30 years to grow up. Then he began his ministry, and they crucified him. They put him in a grave, and God the Father decided three days was just the right amount of time to wait. Then he said to Jesus, now, and Jesus got up. Now, not yet became now although it's still not yet as well. He gathered his disciples together. They were all excited. On one occasion, this is after the resurrection, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Oh man, wait again, wait, wait, wait. And then he returned to his father and sent the Holy Spirit. So if you're wondering, you know, if it's ever crossed your mind to ask, what's Jesus doing right now? The writer of the book of the New Testament called Hebrews tells us, but when this priest, high priest Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, his own death on a cross, he sat down, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. His enemies, death, guilt, shame, sin, and hell, their days are numbered. They're going down. They're going to be defeated, and Jesus can hardly wait. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.